Apart from British parliamentary, another popular style of debate used by both high schools and universities is CP, also known as Canadian parliamentary style. So hey everyone, welcome to the Debate 101 series of This House Would. I'm Nicole Chu. And I'm Noah Pino. So today, we will be discussing with you what exactly is CP, the differences between CP and BP, and also a unique factor that only pertains to CP. So stay tuned to find out more. So CP stands for Canadian Parliamentary, which is just a 2v2 format with mini whip speeches at the end. So in other words, it's essentially like a front half of debate. And the mini whips are... At the end, they will summarize what happened. However, a small difference is that opposition actually goes first. So in high school, this is one of the more common styles. I actually think it's the one that most people start with and sometimes the only style that most people in junior high or high school are familiar with. In university, though, it is done for the majority of the second semester with some interesting twists. Yeah, I completely agree with you in terms of the high school situation because for me I did CP first and then I learned BP when I was in grade 11 or grade 12 so yeah that was what happened with me um so in terms of high school what is the difference between high school CP and high school BP style great question so the first major difference is the reply speeches And that is really interesting because it is always given by the first speaker. So the first speaker actually ends up giving two speeches. And this reply speech is half length, as I mentioned, and it is also entirely protected. So unlike in British parliamentary, where you could POI the whip speakers on either side, in this format, no POIs are allowed. So it's like three to four-ish minutes, purely uninterrupted to summarize the debate without new material. The second major difference is that, and this is really weird, I don't really know why this is the case. I think it actually makes it kind of unfair for Gov, like too hard for Gov, but I think that some tournaments usually require second speakers to give constructive arguments. So what that means is like your basic arguments about pale or why is this true, why is this important, those types of arguments that the first speaker gives are expected from the second speaker as well, usually one. However, in British parliamentary, that is always optional. So that's something to consider. If you normally do second speeches in British parliamentary, you might be able to just do refutation and rebuilding in BP. But in CP, you often will have to give your own constructive argument. And for some reason, sometimes speeches are eight minutes. That is a really long time. I don't know why we do eight-minute speeches uh, for a high school debate. But sometimes it happens. So the timing might be a little bit different. So what is the normal timing for high school? I I think it's often eight and four. So like eight minute main speeches, four minutes for the reply speeches. That's usually safe to practice and assume for if you don't see it in the tournament package. Um, So if you're like not sure how to time your prepared case, that's usually a good goal to meet. Sometimes it's seven minutes and three minutes instead. That one is the timing for university style, but it's definitely longer than BP because in high school, British parliamentary is five minutes for all speeches. Right. So what about for university then? What is the main difference from university CP and university BP? Nice. And this is where the episode gets really weird because Nicole actually didn't know about any of this before. So in university, 
Governments brings their own motion. It can be any motion they like, as long as it is fair, and fair with a very heavy asterisk. But Op finds out what the motion is during the start of the Prime Minister's speech. So government can bring literally any motion they like, as long as it functions as a debate. If it is something that is fair, meaning it is reasonably balanced for both sides and does not require too much background knowledge to participate in. And Op just kind of hears it during the Prime Minister's speech and then tries to figure out their case on the fly. Your motion that you choose as government can also be something called Op Choice. So this is an additional twist uh, with bringing your motion where you give a construct, so maybe background information, a situation, and you give two choices and you let Op pick their side of the motion that they want to defend. So for example, if you have like a certain narrative, like the narrative that you should follow your dreams, your op choice could be op, do you support or oppose this narrative, for example. Um, and that's a really interesting twist that you could also add. Wow. Okay. So I'm still trying to wrap my head around this situation. So essentially opposition cannot prepare beforehand, but then proposition, so PM, can prepare beforehand. Is that kind of the case? Yep, that's... <laughs> That's completely right. How is um, that fair, so though? Opposition is, like, impromptu, impromptu. Wow, like, okay. They, like, like if you were, like, ever in a situation at a tournament where you were walking to your room for 15 minutes and then the round started and you didn't prepare, um, you are still more prepared than an op team in CP because you would have heard the motion in the GA. Um, so government, on the other hand, has presumably infinite time I mean, obviously not infinite, but, you know, as much time as they want to prepare this case in advance. So there are cases that I've run that I have been preparing since first year because I prepared them in first year and continue to improve them and to run them year after year. And that is something that makes a very interesting type of dynamic in how it's judged. However, I would still note, this is something that I think makes people a lot more confident in their ops that op actually wins the majority of the time and like a statistically significant majority of the time. There's some reasons for that that we'll talk about as we go on. But I think the main important thing to keep in your head is that rounds are judged both on the actual debate as well as the motion chosen. So if you're a government team and you pick a bad motion, so it's unfair, it's unclear, it um, is not set up to give you a favorable win, you could actually advantage op because they just have to attack the motion and attack the motion, attack the arguments, um, but they don't really have to defend as much. And that's something that makes your job as op a bit easier. So say if it's an unfair motion, then does side opposition still have to debate it or do they just say unfair motion and choose a new motion? How exactly does it work? So... So there's there's certain things you can do as op if you're in this situation. So one of them is called a tight call. And a tight call is basically where you say that the motion is too tight. There's not room for you to have any arguments or any winning arguments. So this is really common in motions where the motion is just like status quo. So for example, this house believes that like states should provide welfare for their citizens pretty status quo, something that doesn't give that much room for opposition to argue against. You can also say that a motion is spec. 
So spec is like a tight call, but in this case, it's not because the motion is unbalanced. It's because the motion is inaccessible for people without background knowledge. So if you had a motion, for example, about a very particular law about corporate finance, and your opposition was like, I don't know what any of those words mean, that could be spec. So there's similar reasons that there's the motion isn't fair for op, either because of the balance or because of the background info needed. However, it's important to realize that in Canadian parliamentary, you still have to do your best to deliver arguments and a case and refutation. So that's a difference from, I think, in the American format, where in, in the U.S., you have to, like, you could just attack the motion, you can just tight call and, like, not actually give arguments. Uh, that doesn't fly in Canadian parliamentary. So do your best and keep in mind that a tight call is itself a type of argument. So it has to be proven, it has to be constructed, and it can also be refuted. Uh, so think of it as one of your many arguments in a debate round as op. So say if the motion is fair, then how do ops normally win a CP round? Ah, so this is this is kind of something that seems disheartening, but is really an effective strategy. So as leader of opposition, you want to throw out as much as you can that you think could stick. So really good things to do are attack the motion, uh, refute some of the points, and throw out really basic, like, skeleton arguments of your basic constructives. The second speaker, on the other hand, has a lot of opportunity to come in and improve on the argument that was presented. So second speakers actually end up usually giving the majority of the case or the winning analysis. This is something that kind of skews the balance a bit, because if you think about it, the majority of Op's case is coming right before the reply speeches. And also remember that opposition goes first. So you have 10 minutes of in uninterrupted speech, seven of which could actually be, you know, constructive material that government then has to respond to. So it's kind of like a, it's a bit of a different strategy than normal, where you really want first speakers to bring up as much constructive as they can. In this case, it's a lot more about stalling and giving the basic framework for your partner as a second speaker to carry you. I know that doesn't sound that fun, uh, but I promise you it doesn't really reflect in speaks. There are often first speakers who are rewarded very highly for creating a good base for their second speaker to carry them from. But that is something to keep in mind. Your standards as first speaker are a lot lower. And as second speaker, you end up being really sneaky with how you're quote, re quote, rebuilding, quote, refuting you actually end up bringing a lot of your own material in there. But the fact that you have so much power in that 10 minutes at the end is a really big advantage. So I guess that's how it becomes more fair. I mean, like in terms of both sides. So the PM or side proposition can come up with a motion, but then side opposition can essentially have 10 minutes of speaking time. So I guess that's how it balances out, would you say? Uh, yeah, pretty much. There's some other time modifications that exist in university that also affect the balance. So one on opposition is split versus traditional is what it's called. So in this style, the DLO can actually give a 10 minute long speech. So you don't actually have to separate the reply, whereas you could split it up so that it, it is the seven minute speech from the DLO and then a three minute reply from the first speaker. 
So the split is actually the one that is the default in high school. And I think it continues to be the preferred strategy for oppositions. But it is something to consider that if you're ever surprised by a motion and the first speaker really doesn't know anything about the topic, but the second speaker does, you could, in theory, have your second speaker just go off for 10 minutes. It's something that I have seen a few times, and usually when it's done, it's done quite effectively, but it's a very situational tool. Uh, And it can help with situations where one partner really doesn't know the motion, but the other one does. On government, on the other hand, you do have a bit of an issue with having to do a three-minute reply speech and somehow save your case after 10 minutes of refutation. So on government, there is a type of time modification called PMR versus PMRE. Uh, So prime minister reply versus prime minister's reply extended. And the extended is basically where you take one minute off the prime minister's speech and add it to the reply. So instead of seven and three, it becomes six and four. What that means is that you have four minutes now to actually reply and respond. So that is really valuable to have, you know, 33% more time to deal with that 10-minute block. But you'd actually be surprised how useful it is to cut down your speech by one minute in the prime minister as well. Because since opposition finds out what the motion is, as soon as you say it in your prime minister speech, if you only have a six-minute speech, that means that you only gave them six minutes to prepare the motion instead of seven. So would you say that most people do PMRE then rather than the traditional PM? Yes. So I think PMRE is generally considered the right decision as long as you have a motion that allows it. And I suppose this brings us into like what makes a good motion, what kind of motions do people bring. But one of the things that makes a good motion is that the motion is simple enough that it can be delivered effectively in six minutes. So oftentimes, teams that choose to run really heavy BP policy motions, and they have like a hefty info slide, a hefty model, it actually ends up biting them in the end. Because even though it seems really challenging, you have to have seven minutes where you also have to give the info slide, you also have to give the motion, you also have to give your model. And in the end, because it's so complex, you can't give yourself that extra minute at the end. There's no way to skate by on just six minutes. So something that makes motions actually stronger or preferable for Gov are that they're simple enough that you can use 6-4. So what are some examples of motions you've heard of before? Oh my goodness, this is a rabbit hole that we could spend an entire episode on. One of the things I'll just say is that In Canadian parliamentary, anything, and I mean anything, could be a motion. That makes it really fun. You get lots of fun or funny or, I don't know, really unpredictable constructs. But some examples of motions that have been run really well are things covering topics like Harry Potter, uh, about soccer, about the rap industry, but also more serious subjects such as criminal law, linguistics, or just, you know, standard BP motions. My favorite motion I've ever heard of that is not just silly, but actually good is this house would criminalize hexes. Like like if somebody on Twitter, I, I showed this to, to the Hart House debate Thursday practice because I was doing a seminar on it. And there's this tweet I love and someone was like, all right, well, I've had enough of this. May your womb be barren. I put up like a sigil of a hex. 
So the motion is like, that would be criminally an offense that you could charge someone for. This is an example of something that is really ridiculous and really fun, but also a great case because it is a really solid legal principles round. And actually, it is a very strong gov case because it's a case where the kind of principles or logic that you use is kind of tight if you think about it. Because if you just say criminal intent or intent to cause bodily harm is criminal, as soon as you say that, opposition is kind of like boxed in. They don't really know. They're kind of flabbergasted. Like, there's so many reasons why this is a weird motion. Where do I even start? But what judge would believe that there are no arguments against criminalizing hexes? So this is a really classic example of a CP motion that seems balanced, but actually favors government, which is great, but also is really simple. So you could run it in six minutes and save time for the reply and is also really fun. So it actually ends up being genuinely enjoyable, even for the op team, because it's something they've never encountered before and it doesn't require that much background knowledge. Wow, that does seem like a pretty interesting case. But I'm just wondering quickly, what? how can you make a case appear to be fair, but not actually fair? Like the this house would criminalize Texas case. Mm, this, is a, this is a really good question. And it's something that takes a long time to learn because it takes practice to judge your own motions for balance. But motions that seem to have winning ops, but the ops are really hard to come up with, are usually good examples of this. So one strategy that people use to try and look for in their cases is they pick cases where you actually are required as opposition to defend an alternative instead of just refute. So if you think about it, if there's a motion where op gets to defend the status quo or just critique a policy that you're suggesting, their refutation and their constructive will actually overlap a lot. And that's something that's to their advantage because it means that they can multitask by coming up with refutation and also getting arguments. But if you have a motion where they also have to defend an alternative, that is a common strategy that people use in order to make them seem that they're fair, but actually put a really high burden on op because they can't just mitigate. So examples of this could include, you know, this house would put on an automation tax. This is a motion that is honestly pretty tight that I am guilty of running uh, because I was programming someone and they wanted to run it. But it's kind of tight because opposition has to like create their own alternative to taxing automation to have a case that is similarly impactful and similarly strong. So it is a tight motion compared to the status quo. But the only way it's not tight is if you, as op, actually have your own kind of counter model. And then what you could do with the PMR, this is like a really mean, I don't want to say mean, but this is like a really sad, I don't know, sad strategy that like really catches ops off guard and doesn't feel the best, but is a really strong strategy. Uh, When you as a government team go up in your reply speech, you could be like, okay, this is what they should have run you can kind of give the op case for two minutes. And then you could be like, okay, but they did run that. So here's like the actual case. And then just summarize the debate on your own terms. That's a really strong strategy because like you could show to the judge that there was an op that they could have run. And that helps it make, that makes it look like it was fair, even though it wasn't necessarily. 
Wow, that sounds really tricky. And yes, I, yeah, it seems like a really good strategy though. Um, CP is definitely a type of format where you have to practice really different skills. And some of them are coming up with the burdens for each side and being really conscious of that. That means that, you know, it takes practice, but it also is really rewarding if you transition back to BP to be filtering what are the burdens that each side has to defend based on the wording of the motion. Great. So all of these different strategies and examples are really interesting. But say, for instance, for me, as a beginner CP debater, what exactly are some ways for you to come up with the motions in the first place? So that's a great question. And it's something that you have a lot of options for. So the first thing that I would recommend is that if you ever need a motion and you don't have much time, say you want to practice Gov for your practice, but you don't have something you've prepared, you can always choose old BP rounds from hellomotions.com or any other motion site, but that's where people normally go for motions. This is also great if you're preparing for a tournament because you can find backup motions that you kind of know are held to a bit higher standard for balance and being fairly accessible to people. Of course, you still have to be careful. Motions could be outdated or they could be like a semi-final, which kind of makes them a bit more advanced for spec or stuff like that. Um, But that's a great place to start. It's also great to get ideas from there to maybe change wording or figure out what are common debates that exist in the real world. However, if you're making your own original cases, which I recommend because this maximizes your advantage of surprise as government, what you should try to do is think of things that interest you, things that are maybe issues in your field of study at school, and think of issues where you have disagreed with your friends. So this is usually a good indicator of if it's balanced, because it means that there is meaningful disagreement in the real world and in this field that you've heard about. As long as it isn't, you know, a very high academic and accessible disagreement, that usually means that there is a fair argument for opposition as well. So those are really good ways to think of issues that you could uh, run as a CP motion. Of course, you can always run things about pop culture. I um, debated about whether Kylie Jenner should hide her pregnancy about like three hours before she announced that she had a baby. (laughs) So you can definitely have motions that are really creative about things that are going on in the current world. And a really great way to do that is to take debates from the perspective of like a famous person or from the perspective of an individual in a situation. Personal dilemmas are really easy for us to understand whether they're balanced because they're intuitive to our own experiences. So if you're not sure if your motion is fair, if it's going to be tight called, op choices or motions about a person in a circumstance are really great places to start until you kind of get a sense for that. Great. I think another way for you to think of different motions would also just be keeping your eye on different news sources and magazines. I think that's another way we can go about it. Mm -hmm. You can always just say like, this has been in the news for two months, if somebody says that something is spec. So a really great way to have kind of intelligent motions that require a lot of background is to do things in the news cycle because judges are willing to hold opposition to the standard of knowing about it, uh, which might be different than a similarly challenging motion that is maybe your field of study. So that's a great tip as well to look for current events. 
Honestly, learning about CP style debate makes me want to actually try it out for myself. So thank you so much for joining us for the Debate 101 series. Stay tuned for more on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. And please follow our Instagram at THW Debate Podcast. Thank you.